Greetings, my friends. This is Tachi bringing you the best in media tech and pop culture news. This is a Mediascope Brief. Right before this segment, you heard Despacito. If you have not heard it, well, now you've heard it. It's a huge hit. And this is by Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee. That's one version of it. The other version features Justin Bieber. Well, big news for the song. It has officially uh, surpassed 4.6 billion streams within six months, making it the most streamed track of all time. And a further update actually came today that shows, according to Music, Music Business Worldwide, that when all services are factored in, Despacito has in fact surpassed the very meaningful milestone of 5 billion streams. Yes. So the 4.6 billion number came from data from the largest platforms like Vivo, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. But Music Business Worldwide have source, has sources that gave them a more detailed look at the streams, demonstrating that the track had surged to 5.04 billion plays yesterday across all services. So like I said, in truth, is two tracks, Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee's version, and then the version with Fonsi and um, Justin Bieber. The majority of the 5 billion streams have taken place on YouTube. That accounts for more than 3 billion of the total. This fact has not escaped media analyst Mark Mulligan, uh, who was contacted by Music Business Worldwide to discuss this $5 billion revelation. And he says a couple of things. He says that en uh, engagement must be going through the roof or our Vivo's algorithms and YouTube's autoplay feature are really kicking in, helping to make YouTube slash Vivo more of a superstar economy. He also says that Latin America plays a massive role. Brazil and Mexico are Vivo's second and third largest markets globally. So even though we may not be seeing video streams or we may be seeing video streams slowing a little bit here in the U.S., that's not the case in the rest of the world. And for low-income emerging markets, perhaps the YouTube Vivo model is always going to be the one with the most relevance. So, Despacito might just be the new normal. So by appearing on Despacito, Justin Bieber now surpasses his own global record that he previously set with Sorry and its associated remixes, which to date have accumulated 4.38 billion plays. Smart move. So what else about Despacito? The original version had uh, 2.66 billion streams on YouTube, 563 million streams on Spotify, the Bieber remix, 427 million streams on YouTube, 619 million streams on Spotify. It's the fastest ever music video to 2 billion views. It's spent 17 consecutive weeks at number one in Spain, nine weeks at number one on the UK official charts, 10 consecutive weeks at number one here on the US Billboard Hot 100 chart. It's the first Spanish language song to reach number one on Spotify's Global 50 chart and the first time Spanish song reached reaching number one on the Billboard Radio Songs chart. So it's making a lot of firsts. All right. Well, all, if you have not heard it, like I said, you've heard it now. And the news is that Despacito has surpassed 5 billion streams, making it the most streamed song ever. Okay, I hope you're having a great day. I'm going to be back with some more. So stay tuned. Cheers. told you I would be back and I have delivered. 
This next Mediascope brief, actually the next three Mediascope briefs are going to be dealing with transportation, whether in the air or on the ground, that's what we're going to talk about. So let's talk Uber first. Have you ever left a phone or keys or a wallet in an Uber? Well, until recently, the official policy was to put you in touch with the driver and then the two of you would work it out on your own. This is going to change very soon because now Uber is going to allow drivers to charge a $15 flat fee for returning lost items. This has long been a source of aggravation for Uber drivers. If you look at forums that are dedicated to Uber drivers, they're full of stories of drivers who return lost items while not on the clock, only to receive no compensation or tip, or in one driver's case, according to Select All, no money and a packet of dried mangoes. What an insult. In any case, Uber and competitors such as Lyft aren't just battling over customers, they're fighting for drivers. That $15 return fee is part of a wave of initiatives that Uber is rolling out, hoping to keep its drivers. So they're trying to keep them from switching from Uber to driving for a competitor, which in most cases is as simple as switching apps. It recently, as we know, and I've talked about this before, introduced the ability to tip in-app and it's upgrading its driver support hotline. And most importantly for drivers is the protection from bad ratings due to factors outside of their control. For example, bad traffic, maybe bad weather. That $15 fee for lost items now stands in contrast to Lyft, which doesn't have a lost item delivery fee, though it does encourage customers to tip their driver. Remember, Lyft has had in-app tipping for quite a while, and it stops drivers from getting stiffed altogether but it may be a little too late. Harry Campbell, whose blog, The Rideshare Guy, is a clearinghouse of information for drivers, put together a video in 2016 about how drivers should charge customers when they leave a phone behind. He suggested a fat, flat fee ranging from $20 to $40 for returning a phone to customers if the driver is already far away from the passenger. So if you do happen to leave something behind and you have a driver make a long haul to give you something back, you may want a tip on top of that $15. So it's not just the driver who gets a five-star rating, you as a passenger get rated as well. I'm kind of torn on this because I, I do understand if you're already out of your way, you need to get compensated for that. And you know, you were the one that left it in the cab, but sometimes things happen. Sometimes things fall out of your pocket or, or your purse or whatever the case may be. Human, it's human error. And is this Uber's way of trying to compensate you by charging the customer? You're still not doing right. I see what you're doing, Uber. I see you and I'm watching you. What do you guys think? Is this too much? Do you think they should charge for returning? Those of you that are drivers for ride-sharing apps or ride-sharing companies, do you wish that you could charge to return lost items? And have you ever had to? This is really interesting, and I'm sure this conversation is only starting here, and it's not finished yet. Okay, sound off. Cheers. And speaking of forgetting, I nearly forgot to announce a big milestone for me. And I really want all of you guys to join me. You know, every Wednesday I get on and tell you about the media party of the year that we always have every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern time and 6 p.m. Eastern time called Mediascope. Tomorrow is a big deal because tomorrow 
is Mediascope's two-year anniversary. That's right, I have been doing Mediascope nearly every Wednesday solidly for two years, and I have had a blast this entire two years, and this is just the beginning. So tomorrow, I actually have some special guests on, and we're going to have a media party. It will be a blast. So tomorrow, we're going to be 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Facebook and Periscope, Facebook Live and Periscope, we're going to have the media party of the century. All right, let's do it up big. Let's get lit. We're going to have a blast. So, of course, there's going to be lots of media information, media tech and pop culture information, fun and foolishness. But this time it's going to be with a group of people and it's going to be live. And I would love for you to join us. So all you have to do tomorrow, we're not doing Busker Big. I'm going to get on for like 15 minutes and talk to them on Busker and celebrate a little bit with them. But then we're doing the big one on Periscope and Facebook Live. So you can join me at Tachiata at T-A-C-H-I-A-D-A on Periscope or on Twitter. You can watch my Facebook, sorry, you can watch it in the Twitter stream, my Periscope in the Twitter stream. Then you could also go to my Facebook page. If you go to Mediascope, facebook.com slash Mediascope 16, you could go ahead and watch it there from the Mediascope page. And if you're friends with me on Facebook, you can always watch it from my stream. Four ways to watch Mediascope. You've got no excuse, so come party with us. Once again, the two-year anniversary celebration of Mediascope, which is going to be happening 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Twitter, on Periscope, on Facebook Live. All right, I hope to see you tomorrow. Cheers. Back to the business at hand. Let's talk about a story which I'm calling really United. Yeah, again, United Airlines. So apparently United Airlines tried to ban Comic-Con travelers from checking comic books. So as we know, Comic-Con was this past weekend and everybody of course was on a mad scramble to get out of San Diego and they got an unwelcome surprise when United said that comic books were banned in checked luggage. United claimed that this was a TSA mandate for all airlines operating out of San Diego, only to have the TSA publicly refute that claim on Twitter, publicly. So as reported by the consumerist yesterday, United posted a notice telling Comic-Con attendees to remove all books from checked bags. When people complained on Twitter, United confirmed the news saying that the restriction on checking comic books applies to all airlines operating out of San Diego this weekend and is set by the TSA. That's a United spokesperson. From there, it got even weirder because they told one confused attendee that only comic books were banned in checked baggage while regular books were okay. But then the TSA categorically denied this rule's existence, saying that all books were fine in both checked bags and carry-on baggage. They said their uh, spokesperson for a TSA, Lori Danker, told The Verge, they are incorrect. There is no problem with people taking comic books, which are not a security threat. The bottom line is there's no restriction. We're working with United Airlines to figure out where this is coming from. And they also posted a tweet telling United that there was no such rule. They're like, mm -mm, you lying. No, no, there's not. <laughs> so that's kind, it's kind of funny to me. A TSA spokesperson also told the consumers that it would contact any airlines that promoted this rule. But as far as we know, it was, of course, 
just united. Now, this has happened in the past. Dankers described a previous incident where Southwest Airlines incorrectly advised against the packing of glossy magazines, but it was not related. It was said to be unrelated. It's not clear, though, how widely this United enforced it, that United enforced this fake restriction, even though an attendee apparently did end up packing her comics in a carry-on. So, it could be, how did this happen? It could be, according to The Verge, that the United misread a 2016 TSA blog post aimed at Comic-Con attendees. In a list of suggestions for packing, it advised putting brochures, comic books, and magazines in carry-on bags instead of checked luggage because large stacks of them could trigger bag searches that slowed down security. But that was just a logistical lo- uh, guideline, not a security rule. So they got back and said, no, you can do that. And they tweeted it on Twitter, which, of course, that's where you would tweet it. And a statement from United backs up that interpretation. They said, while TSA is recommending that customers keep their comic books in their carry-ons, there are no restrictions on packing them in checked luggage. We misunderstood TSA's instructions and regret any inconvenience this may have cost or sorry, caused our customers. Hmm the customers you have left. Look, United, you are running on borrowed time as it is. The very least you can do is read and confirm. So if you aren't sure, it's in your best PR interest to confirm. I don't understand. They just keep digging themselves further and further into a hole that I guess they don't want to get out of. So this is a small thing, but it could have been something bigger. So tell me what you think. Are you, do you fly United? Do you work for United? In which case, I still don't apologize even if you work for United. But let me know what you think about this story. I'd love to hear from you. You can respond here on Twitter and you can, I'm sorry, on Anchor. And you can also tweet me at Tatiana. I'll take it uh, from you either way. Okay, I hope all is well. Cheers. Stay tuned for another one. Welcome back. In our last Mediascope brief on transportation, we're talking Lyft. We talked about Uber, so we gotta talk about Lyft. And what they're doing is taking you through a Taco Hell, <clears throat> excuse me, Taco Bell on <laughs> route to your destination. It's called Taco Mode. And this was announced in a new partnership between Lyft and Taco Bell. Hmm, very intriguing. Lyft's new taco mode will initially only be available in the app to users in select areas. It will be available first as a limited release in Orange County, California from July 27th through the 30th, which is in a couple of days, and then August 3rd through the 6th between the hours of 9 p.m. and 2 a.m., according to Lyft's blog and Select All. Riders who use taco mode will get a free Doritos Locos Tacos. Doesn't that sound yummy? as I'm being facetious. Anyway, Lyft said this. (laughs) It did not note though, if you're going to be charged any sort of cleaning fee, when you make a huge mess with all that lettuce and sour cream and cheese, etc., and meat in the back seat of your Lyft. Anyway, it may be something that's a welcome treat if you've had a long night of drinking at a local bar in Orange County, California, and soon in places around the country, and you just need a taco fix no matter what kind of taco it is. In any case, enjoy your Doritos Locos tacos if you happen to use taco mode on Lyft. Okay, cheers.
And now it's time for Caller You Say What, the segment where I take listener call-ins and give you feedback or make answers to them or whatever the case may be. I'm here for you. So Eileen has a Caller You Say What or a call-in about Amazon Spark. Let's listen and then I'll answer. Hey, Tachi, it's your girl, Miss Eileen, calling in to see if you've covered this new thing from Amazon over on Mediascope. It's called Amazon Spark. Amazon Spark is a place to discover things from people who share your interests. I'll just give you that first sentence. But anyway, check it out. If you haven't, you need to be a Prime member. And that's basically all I know so far. It's sort of like a social network. So let me know what you think, honey. I'm looking forward to all the scoop on the scope. Bye for now. Eileen, so good to hear your voice. And thanks so much for the question. Amazon Spark. So you know with Mediascope, I do media, tech, and pop culture. And I only have an hour when I do it live streamed and then I do these little segments here. There's just so much that goes on that I don't get a chance to get to everything. You know with the Mediascope, the live stream show, my plan is to go through like 20 something stories. If I get through seven, I'm lucky because I have such awesome interaction and an awesome audience. And you've been on online, so you know this. Any case, Amazon Spark, I had it for last week and never got to it. So thank you for reminding me. Let me talk about it here. For those of you that don't know, Amazon Spark actually lost, launched last week and it's a feature that's trying to improve product discovery. And it's kind of inspired by Instagram if you look at it and Instagram's use of shoppable photos. Also, Spark users are encouraged to post stories, ideas, and images of products that you love, which, and you can also interact or you can react rather with comments and smiles. Yeah, it's basically a shopping social platform. It's uh, Amazon's version of the like or the favor button. They've been testing Spark for a few months before the launch last week. I think it launched on the 18th. Uh, and it's only consumers in the US. The goal with this program is to shift some of the social activity around products that are taking place offsite, like on Twitter, etc., back to Amazon, where product inspiration can, as they say, direct trans direct directly translated to purchases with the click of a button. Okay, I don't know what's going on with my reading there. Okay, so they've been testing it for a while and now they've launched it. Spark can be seen kind of like a Pinterest competitor as well, but the actual format for the service is more of a speed style interface. So this is why the comparison with Instagram seems a better fit. So here's how you get started with Amazon Spark. You have to use the Amazon mobile app and it's not designed for desktop at this time. So you have to do mobile. When you first join Spark, it's available through the programs and features menu option in the apps navigation. And they're going to ask you to select five interests you want to follow. When you put this information in, Spark will create a custom feed of products, images, and ideas that will relate to the sort of things you like to shop for or learn more about. 
and you can learn more than you can select more than five interests, but you can't proceed until you've chosen a minimum of five categories. The interests tend to vary and they match up with Amazon's popular merchandise category. So things like, for example, books, style, fashion, technology, etc. When you've completed the setup, which you also have to enter your name and enable notifications for Spark, etc. You'll get an image heavy feed of product ideas and other stories. And in some cases, it'll be like a product review. Very interesting. So that's kind of Spark in a nutshell. And if you, you know, something you may be interested in, check it out. So they have some little things there too. They also have badges, uh, which appear when you post to Spark or write product reviews. They're moving away though from rewarding top reviewers who write up thoughts and rate items. And they're embracing this system that rewards those who are enthusiasts instead. So instead of top reviewers or quote unquote influencers, enthusiasts will get badges. Okay, well, interesting. And who can become an enthusiast? Anybody, just by contributing to Spark. But there's a catch to post. You have to be a Prime member, as you heard Eileen said. Non-Prime members can browse Spark, but you can't post or comment. Okay, so if you're a Prime member and you're interested in this, maybe something for you to check out. Maybe I'll check it out and give you a review here. Okay, thanks Eileen for the question, and thanks everyone else for listening. Cheers.